these days I know what I'm good at. I know what I'm not good at. And that's my best asset. And I think like the people around you won't help. In many cases, you know, the people who are the most positive and the closest to you are going to hurt you so much by they just don't have the ability to be honest with you. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. A few weeks ago, I mentioned that I would be having Dan Norris on this program. He's the author of The Seven Day Startup, and he is a business idea machine. There have been success stories on this show that were ideas that were generated by Dan. In this conversation, he's going to give tons of business ideas, and we're going to talk about that at length. So if you're looking for your next business or a new business, this is a great episode for you. I want to tell you a little bit about how this one came about. Last month, Dan was speaking at our conference, and I snuck out of work to go to his talk. The talk was called The Six-Figure Self-Publishing Side Hustle, and it was a story about how over the last few years, he's written four books, and that has become a business in and of itself. The talk was so good that I walked up to him afterwards and I was like, hey man, you gotta come share this on the pod. So we are going to talk about how Dan generates book ideas, how he markets his books, how he puts them all out. And so we are gonna get into that, talk a little bit too about his new book. It's called Create or Hate. But what really stuck with me after this conversation is just how many business ideas Dan has. It was energizing, really. And if you like our series of the Donated Business Idea game, I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. So stick around for that stuff. But this conversation starts with a little bit about Dan's story and his background and really about how at the very beginning, when he was stuck in a rut, how we started to get some momentum. So we joined the story with Dan sort of stuck in a rut with his first business. It wasn't growing. It was barely paying the bills. And in fact, he was almost out of money. And at that time, he was a member of the D.C., which is our private forum. We were in there chatting. And you can find out about that and everything we mention on this show. The URL is going to be tropicalmba.com slash businessideas3. So at that time, basically, he's got to make money immediately or go back and get a real job. He decided to survive. He'd have to start a business very quick. So he thought of a productized service and he posted this idea in the forum and he was like, what would everyone think if I offered WordPress tweaks to people for a fixed fee every month? The feedback started pouring in, you know, positives and negatives and what have you. And that business eventually became what we know as WP Curve. But for those of you who haven't heard it, I wanted to go back and revisit that story to catch Dan where he was at that moment when, you know, he didn't know whether he was going to be an entrepreneur anymore, that maybe he would have to go back and get a job. I had an agency, it was failing, you know, I'd literally come to you and in and talk to you guys about that at one of your very first events that you ever did. I was just lost. 
eventually over you know a long period of struggle i eventually got to the point of launching a business called wp curve which again happened via the dc but happened really as a result of listening to podcasts like your show but also ones like this week in startups and i kind of got out of like the local mindset through these sort of avenues like if i think if i hadn't have turned my attention overseas i would have been just stuck in this local mindset that we have in australia which i was in for seven years with my local agency how did you know you were failing like what are the mechanics of being lost in your case for me, it was like my agency. I think I'd earned about 30 to 40 grand a year every year since quitting my $70,000 job. And that was seven years in a row. So you know when you're not doing well. But the agency, it was purely financial. I was just making nowhere near enough money for the amount of work I was putting in. I saw people around me making a lot more money. I got really inspired by listening to all these podcasts. And so I took a huge gamble and put it all into this online analytics product. I gave myself a year. And by the end of that year, I had literally nothing. I was earning negative money and had lost all my money, lost my house and everything else. So that failure was much more clear because I had a predetermined time frame. The previous failure was worse in a way because it was like, if I had failed so bad that I had to get a job, it would have happened much quicker, but I only failed just bad enough so I could just keep scraping through. I've experienced both types of failure and the one I prefer the most is the one that happens very fast. So that kind of led to the idea of the seven-day startup after launching WP Curve in a few days and realizing that this was better than anything I'd launched before that had taken me years and years to work on. How did you come up with the idea? The reason I gave up my agency and I wanted to build the software because I wanted like a startup. Like to me, the word startup was not even in my vocabulary. Like it was, I just left my job to start a business, built websites for people I knew. Like that's all entrepreneurship was to me. But after the year had gone and I'd lost everything, I had to basically start what became now a lot of people call it as a seven day startup business. You could call it a startup or you could call it a productized service, but it's essentially something that's in between a high growth startup and a local business. And my goal was to bring as many of the benefits from the startup world as I could into a business that I could launch quickly and because I didn't want to get a job in one week. Why do you think the analytics dashboard failed? I think there was a whole bunch of reasons. Almost every piece of software I've ever tried to work on has been a failure just because of the purely and simply software is incredibly difficult to work on. It's really, really hard to get right. It's really, really hard to know if people want it. I mean, these days everyone talks about pre-selling, but to me, even that doesn't validate a product. Like now I just see people pre-selling a bunch of products and six months later, no one wants them anymore because the excitement's worn off and they're moving on to something else. Like it's just a really tough business to run. But if you choose to run a business that you're not going to know if it's successful until you've put $100,000 in one year of your time into, that's taking an enormous risk. Whereas choosing to run like a productized service business that you can launch in one week and then potentially launch three or four or five more until you get one that works is a much lower risk. I remember that you were taking issue with that concept of pre-selling, which was kind of hot in the blogosphere at the time. What I've seen happen with that concept is people will support you out of a camaraderie. Yeah, if you've met them at an event or whatever, they read your blog and they're like, you know what, I'm going to get behind Dan on this thing. And then like the cows come home when you realize that you're actually paying for a real product and you might not even want or like it. That's exactly right. And add in recurring into the mix there and people are getting invoiced every month for something that they don't necessarily need and the novelty's worn off. It's, it's a whole different ballgame. I don't hate the idea of pre-selling, but my issue with it isn't like don't pre-sell stuff. It's more don't treat that as validation because all it does, it's really, it's just a scarcity and hype technique. It hypes up what you're doing. It gets everyone excited. But at the end of the day, you're not going to build a business off hype. It needs to be something people are going to buy every month and buy not based on hype, which you're really not going to know until you launch something. So the seven-day startup idea was basically stay away from all of that stuff and instead just launch something as quickly as you can and then start working on the business rather than planning out your launch. So you had been doing websites through an agency for many, many years. 
You go into a forum and you say, look, for X amount of dollars a month, I will do WordPress tweaks for you. Here's the pay now button. What were the results after the first few weeks? So I had exactly $476 in monthly recurring revenue after the first week, which was pretty nice because that was the exact same number that I had with the analytics dashboard after a year. So that was a nice little bit of synchronicity, which is a word I've discovered since. I mean, it essentially, you know, had 10 people sign up in the first week and, and I more or less had 10 people sign up every week for the next two years until we had about a thousand customers. That's more or less how it happened. You kind of went back and parsed the idea out into a book. Let me quote some of your writing. On finding book topics, you said, does it need to be written? Don't write a book to use as a business card. Only write a book if it needs to be written. Unless you can bring a new slant or alternative viewpoint to the table, you may need to consider an alternative idea. So for the seven-day startup, what is the new slant? What did you bring to the table? I think like the big thing that happened that sort of triggered that book was, well, A, it was my story. Like, and I knew that I hadn't told my story before and no one else could tell that. But also I'd written a blog post at the time called Is Startup Validation Bullshit? And I hadn't written really any content up until that point that had really gone that well. Like I hadn't really written a blog post that, you know, really got people commenting and kind of vocal and into. And that one they did. And I mean, the position is basically that something like the Lean Startup exists for a high-funded company who you can just throw ultimate money at experiments until they get it right. But for the rest of us, people in my audience and your audience, it's just not a reality. So what do we do and how do we validate our ideas? And, and the outcome was you don't. You just launch it and you figure it out after that. That position was unique as far as I know. It wasn't really something people were talking about. And that kind of led to, the, I guess, the big takeaway from the book. The result of this is, in large part, this idea of a productized service, which I've been talking about a lot on the show. Is a productized service necessarily the result of the seven-day startup or can you start other sorts of businesses? To be honest, the seven-day startup, all it is really is just a book about my story. It's not really like a program or it's not like a blueprint. You know what I mean? Like most of the ones that have come through the seven-day startup community and people who've read the group have all been services. I'm guessing because my story was services and because services are the easiest to launch, I also give people like a framework for launching businesses. And one of the big things is choose something you can launch and get you know immediate feedback from customers straight away after a week. And services are probably the easiest thing you can choose. So naturally, a lot of them ended up being services. But by definition, you know, you could launch anything as long as you can do it in seven days. You can call it a seven-day startup if you want. And people have launched memberships and plugins and software and services and all sorts of businesses. I was on the phone a few days ago with Tristan King playing a game called Donate a Business Idea because you got plenty for yourself. And I'm wondering, are you willing to play the game? Do you have some ideas that you think people ought to be doing something that maybe could inspire people to get started this week? I've got heaps of productized service ideas I can give you. And I've even got two ideas that I'm thinking about working on myself that I'll also give you. And if someone beats me to those, then, then that's cool too. Although these are weird ideas, so I don't think anyone will do them. Your role is to deliver the goods and my role is to say they're shitty ideas, which will anoint them as fabulous business opportunities. <laughs> That's sort of becoming my old man role in the community is like, if Andrews thinks it's a bad idea, you should probably do it. <laughs> right. So the two ideas I'm planning on working on have nothing to do with productized services. So I'll get onto those next if you want. But the two ideas, one is, you know, like when you listen to a podcast, the thing that triggered it was I was listening to Dan Bilzerian on Joe Rogan. He was just telling these ridiculous stories. And I just thought, imagine how funny this would be if it was like done to an animated video and i'd seen a couple of animated videos there's one there's a brene brown video about empathy that's really powerful i think i've mentioned in some of my content and you've probably seen it floating around going viral on facebook and it's an animated video that someone's just made after hearing you know her youtube video of her presenting at a, i think a ted talk 
But watching it in animation makes it so much more powerful and interesting than just watching her speak. And the other one I thought of is Ricky Gervais has like a stand-up comedy routine about elephants. I've heard the routine with him speaking it and it's funny, but then I've seen it with a really funny animated video and it's like 20 times as funny. So my idea was to go into podcasts and pull out a bunch of really cool stories. Like the Bill Zarian one had three stories in particular that stood out that I thought would just be hilarious done as animations. And then pay someone to video animate them contact the host and the guest and say, you guys cool if I do this and then launch it on your platform, get them to launch it on their platform and then start building a big social media following around this content and either monetize it through ads or through even just doing these videos for other people. That could be something where you'd say, you'd go to high-end content producers and say, I'm going to create one animation a month off of the content you're putting out and you're going to pay me X amount for it. Yeah, you could easily do it for people as a paid thing or potentially, I think these videos would have the potential to just get massive and just build a huge social following and just monetize through ads maybe even if you built up a big enough following doing them. Right, cool. But yeah, that's just a silly idea. I think I'm, I'm actually, I was looking up Upwork today to see if I can find someone to do the first one just for a bit of fun. But I don't know if anyone else beats me to it, then go for it. The other one I thought, and again, these are not really seven-day startup ideas. They're just fun things because these days I'm just kind of bored and just want to work on fun things. What's going on with e-commerce at the moment is people are moving away from shopping carts and they're moving towards these like one-page sales pages, basically like lead pages for e-commerce. So applications like Samcart or Thrivecart, is that I've just signed up for Thrivecart, but there's not that many that enable you to do it on mobile really well. So I thought of doing basically like a one-page sale, like fully template-driven sales product that you do via your mobile phone and target Instagram accounts for selling them. You got so many people on Instagram now with gigantic followings who really suck at monetizing their audience. And they probably know nothing about online shopping carts or anything like that. Like they go and sign up for OzCommerce or something and just send these mobile visitors through to these shopping carts where no one's going to buy anything because it's so clunky and old. If they could just get out a phone, enter the product name, put an image in, click a button, have it automatically generate the link and automatically generate a right size image with the price to share on Instagram, then I think that would make it way easier. The only reason I haven't done it, well, A, because I've got something else I'm working on and I probably should focus. B, the other thing is Instagram are going to launch shoppable images, which might change everything again. So where this fits into that mix, who knows? But I think that's missing. Target like big fitness accounts or something online and just look at their accounts to see what websites they're sharing and just give them some stats on how much people they're losing because they're not mobile optimizing their sales pages. Right. How am I doing? You're doing great. Keep going. <laughs> okay, these are the product I services. So bookkeeping is a no-brainer. That I'm happy to see Bean Ninjas doing that, but I think every business needs a bookkeeper, so that's a good one. Bean Ninjas, the zero bookkeeping services by Merrill and Ben. The thing about what they did was they went from targeting zip codes to targeting a vertical, and theirs is very specific. It's online entrepreneurs like me and you who are on zero. And so you can toy around with those, right? So it's a rip pivot jam thing, like old school TMBA. It's like, okay, well, so that's working. Well, what other platforms are people on? People are on QuickBooks. People are on you know, XYZ and you can go target those businesses. Yeah, and there's actually huge opportunities with those now too because businesses like MyOb and QuickBooks are making a resurgence. They just didn't think the online thing was coming. Like they just do what we do is we put our heads in the sand and kind of you don't accept what's going on in the world. And MyOb and QuickBooks did that and Zero came in and built a product that was way better, but they're starting to catch up now. And these older accounting platforms are now going online, which means potentially you've got customers all around the world. Like bookkeepers used to, I used to have a bookkeeper come into my office to manage my MyOb account. Now it's all going online and these platforms are coming back and attacking zero, you know, getting better online and building their own marketplaces and people to work around them. So there's heaps of opportunities with that and you've got the whole world to target as your audience now. Very cool. 
The other ones, I actually, I did a bit of brainstorming before the call, so I'll list them off really quickly. Facebook and Instagram ads, I think, are really good because things like Facebook ads and Instagram ads are kind of evergreen, like every month. And you can do cool things with Facebook, like with our brewery, we do an ad for people who aren't from the area who come to the area. So wait, you can't just drop like for our brewery. You got to clarify what you're talking about. (laughs) I started a brewery called Black Ops. It's probably another story for another day, but that happened as part of all of this last couple of years of craziness as well. Facebook gives you incredible abilities to target people. And one thing you can do is people who aren't from the Gold Coast, who come to the Gold Coast, Facebook knows you're not from here and you're now here. And if you like beer or if you happen to be within 50Ks of Burley Heads where our brewery is, we can show you an ad. And because it's different people you're showing it to, you don't need to change the ads up all that regularly because it's like an evergreen audience as opposed to evergreen content. So you can do stuff like that where like you could charge a monthly fee to manage these ads where you're really all you're sort of doing is logging in, looking at the metrics, updating the budget, leaving the ad more or less as is and just reporting on the results. Like I pay people to do this for our business. I absolutely love this kind of business idea. You don't even need to know that much about ads or Facebook. Like the learning curve, it's complex enough for business owners and it saves them enough time and makes them enough money where they're willing to pay a lot for it. But it's not so complex that you couldn't learn how to do it in a few months. And I think that that's where the opportunity is for entrepreneurs looking to get started. I agree. And and Facebook make it so easy and business owners are just clueless. And you can use the fear of missing out too, because every business owner is now on Facebook, whether they like to admit it or not, they're on Facebook and they see ads for their competitors all the time because of the retargeting. So every business owner now will be seeing that thinking, shit, should we be doing those ads? It's a perfect storm in a way. There's heaps going on with Facebook, actually. So there's the ad stuff. There's now ads in Instagram. And there's so many different types of ads. You can do like awareness ads or you can do like direct calls to action. You can work on funnels. Anything to do with funnels, I think, is a good idea for a recurring productized service because it's... So can you describe what you mean by funnel? Okay, so say I've got a paid community, right? If someone subscribes to my emails, I've got a free course, right? So they go to dannorris.me, sign up to my free seven-day startup course. They go into my email sequence. I then have a funnel where I might want to sell them ultimately into my membership, but my membership costs 200 bucks. So they're probably not going to buy that straight away. So first I might sell them a book and those people who bought the book are more likely to buy you know, a bundle of books or more likely to buy the membership than cold traffic. So those people get different ads. And you have a whole funnel set up where like at the very start, they're just getting emails about the course. At the end, they're getting pitched on the membership and all throughout, they're getting different ads on Facebook or on any other retargeting platform because we know what stage of the funnel they're up to. So not only are they getting different emails, but they're also getting different ads when they go online. Right. So a funnel is like the word that online marketers used to describe, basically like lead cultivation that's automated. Yeah. So if I went on to Facebook and said, you know, join my mastermind for a thousand bucks, so mine's 200, but say it's a thousand. Typically like a good like online marketing funnel would have like a free product and then like a tripwire product, which is like $9 and then ultimately have like a higher end product that's say $2,000. If you go onto Facebook and put an ad, join up to my $2,000 product, no one's going to buy it because they're just not at the right stage for buying that product at that price point. So the idea of the funnel is to get all the people that that can ultimately spend $2,000 who ultimately need your product down to the point of the funnel where you can pitch them on that at the right time. And you do that via automated emails and pitching them at the right time, showing them the right sort of ads at the right time, introducing scarcity and all, and all the other stuff if that's appropriate. But managing all of that is a case of constant optimization. Everything from the website that people go to to sign up to your emails, to the emails that they get, the open rates on the emails, the click rates that you use on the images on Facebook. You know, Facebook might change the image sizes. Like It's something that requires constant ongoing management and something that where you tweak something, you make an extra amount of money at the end of it so you can justify the expense. So anything to do with funnels, email funnels or Facebook retargeting funnels, I think make a really good productized service. Any other ideas, Dan? 
So paid ads is a no-brainer. Organic social media is another huge one. I'd say something like Instagram, if you're a year ago, this would have been a huge opportunity. Like people just didn't realize how big Instagram could be for normal businesses. It's been massive. Yeah, and it's and people have like Nathan from Founder, he's got an Instagram following now of 900,000 people. He's been on there for 18 months, developed a multi-million dollar business off the back of it and just absolutely crushed it with Instagram while other people were just sort of thinking it was for photos of your food. At any step of that process, you could have started a service that was managing organic Instagram accounts. You could still do that now because what's happening now is it's all shifting from images to videos. So people now are getting way more traction doing videos, uploading videos onto Facebook directly or videos onto Instagram. Now they've got one-minute videos, so people are really using it as a video platform now. The style of content Gary V is doing, if you've got video skills, this is going to be hard to do on like a world scale, but I think this kind of content in our community is going to blow up. People are going to start hiring videographers to follow them around doing you know like a weekly video. Everyone wants to do this sort of content, so there's heaps of opportunities there. You know where people are starting to make a lot of money is these vlogs. I sound like such an old guy. You know these kids with these vlogs, but I feel like you could have this like back end to that. You basically sell that infrastructure. So I walk around as the guru guy all day long with my phone, sharing clever ideas and taking photos of my food and my kids and whatever. And then I dump that into a Dropbox at the end of the day and the service turns it into my vlog basically. Yeah, there's so many things you can do. And I think all of these things are basically about proof. Like if you can show that you can do this for one person, especially like an influential person, you can take it from there. I think that's where people go wrong. They sort of think about how do I market this? And whereas I always think about like, how can I do this for free for someone to actually prove that I can do it well? And then once people see I can do it well, it'll market itself. One idea I had while we were on the call, Dan, is I'm looking at your wonderful post about the six-figure side business by self-publishing. You know, there's a business in this blog post. You can go around the internet and like you said, a lot of the books that end up being bestsellers, they kind of came from like a semi-viral or provocative blog post. Well, I'm seeing here, you're laying a process and a business model out. I don't see why somebody couldn't sell that. I mean, if someone came to me and said, well, there's a bunch of different ways you could do it, but you could say blog to book. I'm going to use Dan Norris's marketing approach, his design philosophy, and his way of laying out a book. And I'm going to go to established bloggers that make money off their blogs and say, I'll turn your blog into a book and I'll do it for 10 grand. I don't see why people wouldn't pay for that. Absolutely agree with that. There is, I think Tucker Max or one of those guys has like book in a box, which is kind of similar. But I think this idea of just repurposing a particular viral blog post would be especially cool because you can use tools to find out what these are. Like you can go into BuzzSumo and find out what the most popular blog posts are on particular sites. So you could probably actually proactively hunt these guys down and be like, there's a book in this. Because look at Dan Norris. He makes six figures on the side. (laughs) It's ridiculous that you're not taking advantage of that opportunity. I can take care of it for you kind of thing. Yeah. And the thing that a lot of people don't realize is so many books are written by ghostwriters. My books are all written by me, but most of my blog posts aren't written by me. I've got a guy who works in my office, who works for me, sits next to me and turns all my ideas into blog posts each week. And then when one of the ideas takes off, that's when I sort of think, okay, maybe this could be a book and always write the book myself. I freely admit it, whereas a lot of people don't. So many of well-known bloggers and book authors, especially in the business space, don't even write their own stuff. And it's not difficult to write someone else's book. It's a proven thing that's been happening for hundreds of years, probably more. Let me piggyback on this one, because this is a business idea that I have friends that have made money doing this. This is validated, which is a distribution service. So I spend over $50,000 a year producing this podcast. Well, would I be willing to spend an incremental 10 grand a year, 15 grand a year to distribute it more widely? And that could mean things like 
getting the transcripts, creating meaningful articles out of each episode, and then publishing them to Huffington Post or developing a relationship with, you know, like Forbes or other online channels that are looking for quality content. Well, we've got it, but we don't have the people to distribute it, cultivate it, and build those relationships. I know a few very big high-profile online entrepreneurs who create lots and lots of content for publishers like you know Forbes and Inc and Entrepreneur.com and all those sort of places. They don't write their own content at all. They get someone to come in. They take an existing idea. The ghostwriter writes it all, puts it up there, publishes it in their name. That's going on all the time. With something like a podcast, I think it's a huge opportunity because I think with a podcast, you miss out on a massive amount of online traction that you get with written content. Like backlinks are almost impossible with a podcast. Comments are almost impossible. I mean, I know you guys get it because you've got a decent audience but for the average podcast it's almost impossible to get people back to your site at all so written content really fills the gap and i know you do written stuff on your site as well but you could do a lot more and you could probably do one for every single episode you've done if you just spin it in a slightly different way absolutely and let me work in some business advice here this is a service that you know you're one case study away from a business here However, I think client qualification is critical because I think a lot of people, they'd buy services like this as a business opportunity, but they don't actually have the back end to make their ROI off of the product. So I think as an entrepreneur, it's really important for you not just to take all comers, particularly if it's like a recurring product that you're going to be putting a lot of energy into each client. You know, if someone's like, say, oh, they're super pumped about their new business podcast, but they've got no business model, they've got no ROI, they're just hoping that your service is going to get them to the next level. I wouldn't take on clients like that. I 100% agree. I also partly think that this is almost the case for every business idea, like in our sort of audience. Like you have to be really careful. It's easy to get people to sign up for something, but if they don't have the sort of business where they're happy to pay a couple of hundred bucks a month for something because they've got a couple of hundred bucks a month coming in that they can allocate to that, it's not going to go anywhere and you're just going to get this obscene churn that's going to kill your business really quickly. You're making us greedy. Give us all the business ideas. Another really big opportunity, which I've been talking about for so many years, I can't even remember, is lead magnets. So I noticed a lot of years ago that HubSpot on their blog posts were putting in specific lead magnets for the content. So they didn't just have a generic opt-in. They had a lead magnet just for the piece of content. HubSpot is a big software company that helps people marketing on the internet. What is the lead magnet at the bottom of their blog posts? So for example, I wrote this post recently on how to build a six-figure side business with self-publishing, right? This is the sort of content that HubSpot used to write all the time. Like they were pioneering online marketing, content marketing, blogging, you know, how to create a podcast, how to do self-publishing, like all of this type of stuff. And when you went on their blog to read that content, they'd have a little box for an ebook on the topic. So like in my case, if I've got a story there, how to build a six-figure side business with self-publishing, if I put sign up to my newsletter on the right-hand side, I'll get a conversion rate of between zero and 0.5%, I'd say. And not 0.5, 0.5%, so 0.005. If I put a lead magnet on there that says, here is my framework for launching a self-published book, I'll give you this book if you give me my email address, I'll then get a conversion rate of between 2 and 10% because that ebook that I'm offering people for their email address is specifically tied to something I know they want. I know they want information on self-publishing, otherwise they wouldn't be reading that post. And at WP Curve, every piece of content we do, we have a dedicated lead magnet just for that piece of content. We don't do any aggressive email opt-ins at all. We don't have pop-ups or anything on there. We just have a lead magnet relating to that piece of content. And if you don't have that with your blog, but you've got a business and you've got a blog that gets a lot of traffic, it's a huge opportunity. And it's not just a case of optimizing every new post. It's a case of optimizing and adding lead magnets for all the posts in your archive that is getting evergreen traffic. So it's a big job. And it's a massively low-hanging fruit way of increasing your email list. Interesting. So a service could look like all I need is 
access to your Google Analytics and I will identify your top 10 traffic posts that are bringing quality leads to your business. I will create a meaningful gift for your readers and then I will market that gift vis-a-vis a good-looking offer at the bottom of the posts. Yep, in your sidebar, even maybe as an exit intent pop-up, something like that. That's it. And then also the cool thing about it is it's more ongoing in nature because if this company is producing a lot of content, every new blog post they produce, they're going to want one on. The other thing you can do, which is work they probably don't want to do, is work out which ones to do it for. Because there's an investment associated with creating lead magnets, you don't want to do it for every single post. You want to only do it for posts that are going to get good traction. So there's another piece of work in there in looking at the analytics of recently published content, work out what's taking off, work out you know where the spikes, like one particular post is doing really well, get a lead magnet on that one, that's low-hanging fruit. So it's kind of like an ongoing challenging job that most companies don't do. So you could have an audit element to this product. And this is for people that are sitting in a cubicle or you know they're on a career break and on an island somewhere. This is the kind of idea where that's a $2,000 product day one. A lot of bigger companies will put some value on their email subscribers. So if you can justify you know an extra 500 or 1,000 email subscribers per month with a case study, then they can immediately see the value in paying for that. There's also another mindset thing that I see people bump into a lot, which is, well, wouldn't they just do that themselves? And the answer is, for good clients, absolutely not. They won't. No company wants to do anything themselves. It's too hard. Like Once you have a big enough business, you start to realize that doing anything yourself is bloody hard. I read a post by Shana Oliveira in the DC like over a year ago, I'm pretty sure, where she was talking about this very concept. And I read the post and I was like, that's amazing. I would make my money back right away. And I haven't done it because I have a business to run. I'm doing other things. Part of the reason I haven't done it is because I haven't seen the service anywhere. And one of the things that Tristan King mentioned to me is he felt like the consumer market is getting matured to the idea of productized services in the sense that like people like us are looking for things like this more. Do you think that's true? I think that is a bit true because I think people like us are now building recurring businesses. And I think if you're building a recurring business, you're much more likely to invest in a recurring service. Like for me personally, for my self-publishing side business, I guess, I would have never invested in any of these ongoing things because I was never sure about what money was coming in. And same as when I had my agency, I was really, really careful to invest in anything because I never knew what was coming in. With WP Curve, if I can see a problem that's going to get solved by a service, it almost doesn't matter how much it costs me. Like if you've got a recurring business, you're more optimistic about how much money you're going to be making next month. Therefore, you're more likely to invest in recurring services, I think. There's another element that I have a spidey sense about, which is I was talking to Clay Collins last week and he was talking about how like back in the day, you'd have like Marketo and HubSpot and there were these fully integrated solutions. And now what's happening is you've got like Nathan Barry with ConvertKit coming in and doing just one element of it really, really well. The analog there is like your agency seven years ago, like you were kind of taking on clients and charging by the hour or whatever and building their online presence. And now what's happening is we've got all these like really powerful tools that do one particular thing well. You need people to implement them in your business. That's really where I'm seeing an increasing opportunity and visibility for people to come along and say, yeah, Instagram is great for marketing. Just because you know it's a good opportunity doesn't mean that you have the time or resources to implement the strategy. 
Yeah, and there's so many more opportunities and they're better businesses. Like I like people used to do social media consulting, but what the hell does that mean anymore? I mean, it's such a gigantic thing, social media, that you really need someone who understands Instagram to be doing your Instagram and someone who understands Snapchat to be giving you advice on Snapchat, someone who understands the sort of science behind paid advertising and analytics to be doing your Facebook retargeting. So it presents way more opportunities. And it's funny the way this is happening. It's happening with big brands as well. People are really moving away from this idea. Like I always used to think in my head, ultimately there ends up just being one company on earth because it makes much more sense to just have one brand that does absolutely everything. But what is happening is kind of the opposite of that. Like, And you see it with Facebook, they like aggressively buy other products. In the past, they would have, you know, companies like Microsoft or IBM or whatever would have merged those companies under their brand. Whereas now Facebook will buy Instagram and it stays Instagram and they'll set Messenger up and aggressively boot people off Facebook onto a separate app because they know that like a dedicated messaging app is more valuable to someone than an app that does Facebook and messages. And this is something that I think represents a big opportunity because every time all these things get broken off into an individual area, there's additional services and things around that that are needed. Since we're just talking about business opportunities in general, I got to share something with you for your feedback. One of the ideas about starting a business that was completely impenetrable to me 10 years ago was this idea that you would build these technology companies that Silicon Valley types wanted to roll up like Facebook. So you'd build an Instagram. And to me, I would like read that in a magazine and I'd be like, yeah, yeah, that's totally not for me. I can't put a rocket on the moon kind of thing. But recently, I've seen a lot of people in our community start to build these types of businesses that investors want to buy and then moving them on. And it's not hard to get the data on this. Like right now, investor confidence is very high. That could change based on politics or whatever. But if you go to any of these website brokerages or online listings of businesses and you start to look through what's on sale, the sell side is the powerful side right now. In other words, there's more money than there are businesses. And what you notice when you look at these businesses is that they're the types of businesses that many of us could build. And so I think that that represents a really big opportunity for listeners of this show right now as well, which is to get yourself on the sell side, to get yourself a relationship with some of these website brokers, strategic partners, and start to build businesses that they would want to bring into their portfolio. I think so too. I think there's almost like a culture in our community, which I guess is a culture of a bootstrapped entrepreneurs, you know, hating investors, hating this idea of selling or getting investors. But to me, I think I've always embraced that. And I haven't like, I haven't got investors. I've got investors for Black Ops, but I haven't got like tech investors for any of my other companies. But the idea of getting investment does not bother me at all. The idea of selling does not bother me at all. I think it's actually the opposite of what most bootstrappers think is anything that externally validates the value of what you're doing, I think is a good thing. It doesn't mean it's worth that. But if you're building something that an investor might want to buy, then that's actually probably a better indication that you're onto something than any other metric you've got because it's someone else saying that what you're doing is valuable. I always follow like Crunchbase and TechCrunch and look at like what ideas people are putting money into and you know what, like have an idea ahead of time. Who are the sort of companies that buy, you know, productized service businesses or who are the sort of companies that buy breweries? I mean, this stuff is always in my mind because I always think if you can sell, then A, you probably should. But B, it means that there's some external value there that you otherwise wouldn't know because you'd never actually try to pitch your idea to anyone except for your customers. You got more ideas? All right, I've got to do two because I like both of these. I'll do one really quick. We talk about self-published stuff, like everything around that, marketing especially for books that already exist, like all the quotes and stuff that go on Instagram, all of the republishing that happens from content that you can do. Some people do it really well. Some people don't do it like at all. So big opportunity there, but that doesn't count as part of my two because I've got two other ones. Facebook groups are huge at the moment. In the last couple of years, I think they've just gone nuts. Facebook have just started advertising in groups and they, they were working up towards that by really pushing groups really heavily. 
I get a huge amount of engagement from my group and no one knows how to run a Facebook group really well. So there's a lot of opportunities in that, helping people run groups, keeping them engaged, like posing questions to the members. I have my VA do this for me for my Facebook group. So you could train Filipino VAs in doing some of this stuff, like a combination of offshore and probably local people to manage a group like this. I tell everyone to start a Facebook group because I think they're a huge opportunity. The last one, just managing VAs generally. That's another big problem. A lot of people want to get a VA and they will get a VA, but then they immediately struggle with how do I keep them busy? And that seems universal across people who've hired assistants from the Philippines. It's like they're almost too efficient. And because they're not right there in your face, you kind of forget that you have to give them work. So managing them, communicating with them, laying out processes for them, all of that kind of stuff is work that businesses would pay for. I personally can't get enough of the donate a business idea game. So <laughs> I'd love to hear your comments on that. We'll post all these links at tropicalmba.com slash business ideas three. That's the number three. I love the way Dan thinks about business. And honestly, it's inspiring to me. I think I wrote Ian an email after I talked to Dan, like, what did you think about this? You know, it's pretty cool. But we talked a lot more. And for anyone who's thinking about any kind of business that centers on creating content or depends on content marketing, you might even have aspirations to be a writer. Dan Norris has some really great insights into how he writes books. I mean, the proof's in the pudding. He's written four books. And these aren't, you know, business card books. These aren't look at me books. I mean, if you read them, there's substantial ideas in them. They're a little shorter than what we tend to think of a book. But over the years when I've read business books, I've, nine times out of 10, it's like, this is too long. I think traditionally in the business world, you'd had to make a book a certain length in order to justify it you know, being a book. Whereas when you read Dan's books, they're very clear ideas, straight to the point, and you know, he doesn't belabor the point. So just to mention a few of Dan's books, the most well-known and the one I'd start with is The Seven Day Startup. But his second book, Content Machine, has gotten a lot of attention too. And as I mentioned earlier, he recently launched a mindset book called Create or Hate, which is a really cool cover. You should check it out. Now here's the thing about Dan. This guy is super busy. He's got a ton of plates spinning, but he has zero excuses. <laughs> When it comes to writing, he just gets it done. One of his techniques I found really interesting, which is planes. You know, many of us are very familiar with planes. He's not a huge fan of flying, but he does use airplanes as sort of a productivity hack. He gets on them, has an idea for a book, opens the laptop, and uses that pressurized bubble as his creative space. I think that's pretty cool. So you wrote the seven day startup talking about, you know, going from broke to having figured out the internet more or less. And there's an obvious story there. What made you think, you know, I'm going to take a stab at a second book? It was a combination of my friend just saying you should write a book on content marketing. And it was sort of like the topic I kept talking about because like the interesting thing emerged, it wasn't so much how I launched WP Curve, it was how we got it to become like a seven-figure business pretty quickly without spending any money on advertising. And that like sort of headline became like the subtitle to the book. And I was talking heaps and heaps about content marketing. To be honest, I thought it would be a pretty easy book for me to write because I'd written so much about it. I kind of had an idea about how I could spin the differentiation angle it was just naturally a pretty easy thing for me to write. So I thought it made sense. You get that idea from your friend. You know, you got the flight coming up. What do the planning phases look like for you before you sit down and start chugging the caffeine and typing? 
there's very little planning. Most of my books are more like story-based and sort of opinion-based. They're not like heavily researched. So they're quite easy to write. Like the extent of the planning is listing out a bunch of headings in Trello. And if there's something that I think requires a bit of research beforehand, I might do that beforehand. But really probably what I'll do is list out all the headings in Trello, copy and paste them into a notepad file that sits on my laptop. And then as soon as the flight mode thing goes off on the plane, I just start typing And if I need the internet for anything, I'll just put a square brackets in, add more shit here, keep writing. And then at the end, I'll have thousands of words and I'll be able to go back and tidy it up later on. When I look at the last four years for you, it's this extraordinarily colorful march of products and design and ideas and a freaking brewery. And what's changed in you? Seven years of toil and consistency. And now all of a sudden you're this colorful creator. Can you pinpoint anything? For one thing, I was doing lots of shit before too, just no one knew about it and none of it worked. It's kind of the same bad habits. It's just that some of them have resulted in things that have worked and therefore everyone thinks I'm way better than I was before. Really, I was just doing the same thing. Some of the things I've done have got traction. The other thing is I've got an audience now, so it's a lot easier for me to test ideas and kind of work out what people are going to like. I kind of figured out also like what drives me. That's a big thing. Like When I left my job to start a business, I just wanted to be like a millionaire entrepreneur, but I didn't really know how. But I've learned somewhere in the last few years that really what drives me is just this act of creating stuff. The sort of the three years down the track when you have to run the business is not as exciting to me as the seven days it takes to launch it. So I've kind of embraced that. And now I just try to launch and create as much as possible. And the stuff you mentioned is the stuff that's worked, but I've also worked on lots of things that haven't worked. Just they kind of disappear very quickly. And the ones that have worked tend to stand out a bit more. Yeah, I guess the reason I was asking about it is just to... I don't know if I can communicate this well, but that when you're stuck or uncertain in the moment, like the days are really long, but the years are really short. It's a really awful situation. It's also a really hard thing to help. Like I remember everyone in the DC was really trying to help me. Like when I joke about them saying, you know, WPK is a really bad idea and, you know, people give me shit about being flaky and inconsistent. And these were all just people trying to help me. Like I know people have told me they were looking at what I was doing failing and just felt really bad. Like felt like I should be doing better. One of my very specific posts in the DC was like, and I've seen it since other people post the same thing was like, I suck at sales. I don't want to be doing sales. How do I build a business? And the answer was like, get good at sales. And I'm like, well, it's just not me. I'm never going to be good at sales. And now I know it's not about listening to what other people think. It's more about self-awareness. And I feel like I had that self-awareness, but I was really reluctant to back myself. Whereas these days I know what I'm good at. I know what I'm not good at. And that's my best asset. And I think like the people around you won't help. In many cases, you know, the people who are the most positive and the closest to you are going to hurt you so much by they just don't have the ability to be honest with you. And I talk about that a bit in Creator Hate because if you are asking people around you, is this good? Is this going to work? Like the people who care about you, they're going to say yes, or they're going to give you, you know, what they would do in their situation. People just don't naturally have the amount of empathy to really understand what it's like to be you. So I try very hard to listen to people at the same time to not really take anyone's advice without considering my own self-awareness. Big thanks to Dan Norris. I got to say this episode was a great pleasure for me. Like, I have so much fun talking to this guy and I have so many ideas after the call. And also I want to extend a huge congratulations. In this episode, Dan referenced the idea of creating things that are valuable to others. And I actually had to come back a few days later and re-record this conclusion because Dan and his partner sold WP Curve to GoDaddy. So another story of a successful exit 
absolutely fantastic. We're going to link to the press release so that you can take a look at how WP Curve was sold to GoDaddy. Absolutely fabulous. Also, check out Dan Norris's books. My suggestion is that you start with the seven-day startup. I think this book is amazing. I'm not sure there's another book I would suggest if the challenge were, I want to start a business. I don't know how, what book should I read? Like, It pretty much is a step-by-step plan to starting a productized services business. And that applies even if you've got a business because it might inspire you to do something different or even just to launch a new product off of your current brand. As always, we're going to be back next Thursday morning. Thanks for listening. And we're going to post the links and that press release and everything that we mentioned in this episode at tropicalmba.com slash ideas. Three, and that's the number three. All right, see you next Thursday morning. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.